Hello everyone, good to see you, good to be back. We're speaking about Jeremiah tonight, but we spoke about Isaiah last week, remember? And there's a 60 year gap roughly between Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, and uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel stand together really among the prophets uh, because not only are they part of the big three, you know, the the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In the Hebrew Bible there's the big three and then there's the minor prophets. They're the major prophets because of the not because the minor prophets are minor in, in importance, it's just the length of their oracle collections smaller than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And uh, he's one of the big three, Jeremiah. And uh, he and Ezekiel together they go together for, well, a couple of reasons. Basically, they're prophets of the individual more than the other prophets. They, they address their prophecies to the individual. Um, and uh, the other thing is they both have similar backgrounds in that they were both from priestly families. Um, Ezekiel was more inclined to write about ritual matters and priestly matters and the, the scholars have defined the difference between them as saying Jeremiah was a prophet who happened to be a priest but Ezekiel was a priest who happened to be a prophet that's the distinction between the two of them so if you've got your Bible with you and care to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 We'll read a bit of it, the first 19 verses. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, and verses 1 to 19. Reading from the New International Version. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reigns of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Israel went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, um, I set you apart, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I am only a child. But the Lord said to him, do not say to me, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? 
I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, From the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her, all her surrounding walls and against all uh, the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me and turning in and burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. So God speaks to him, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Tremendous passage, eh? Really good. Some folk read the Bible like a telephone directory, you know. It's, it's a very dramatic book. And probably of all the prophets, in, in a literary sense, Jeremiah's got the best, widest style of approach in his language and all the different forms of speech uh, that he has in his prophecy. I started reading the call of Abraham and the call of Moses and the call of Isaiah <laughs> and the call of Jeremiah and David all the, the Old Testament characters and this was the chapter that got me Jeremiah chapter 1 uh, a fantastic chapter um, now what was Jeremiah's context? Jeremiah lived in a village his family lived in the village of Anathoth which was just north of Jerusalem and they were a priestly family his father was Hilkiah and he was a part of the priestly family of Abiathar he was well known his line went right back to Moses' time and Aaron's time and in fact the young king Josiah when he centralised the worship during his reformation he centralised the worship so that you couldn't just have little shrines and places of worship all over the place. It had to be centred on Jerusalem so that they could keep an eye on what they were doing at these worship places. And his family would be bereft of their duties and maybe the family were a bit grumped at Josiah's reformation. And he had loads of enemies. Jeremiah had, his family turned against him. Later on, his enemies were the superpowers. I said to you last week that for most of their history, um, Israel, the land of Israel, was either a land bridge, a buffer state, or a political football. And the big powers tramped over the land Egypt, Assyria, Syria, Babylon, and they were just pawns in the big superpowers game. Um, and the superpowers were on the march and impinged on the history of Israel around the period of Jeremiah and then there were false prophets um, who weren't called by God but they were time serving money grabbers um, who were bringing false forms of worship in as well as the worship of God 
They were worshipping the idols of the Canaanites and so on. And the whole, they were corrupt, they were immoral, some of them. And they were, one of them was a man called Hananiah. And he was, he was a false prophet and Jeremiah faced him up at one point and dealt with him. But as well as that, Jeremiah's family turned against him. We'll talk about the reasons for that later on. Family opposition was another feature in it. Jeremiah's context, the family, the enemies, the kings. Here's a wee history lesson for you, okay? Um, there were four kings, really. You might say five. Josiah was the last king who attempted a reformation of the uh, religion in Israel. He tried to purify it. He got the Passover reinstituted. Um, he did several uh, acts that were to try and bring Israel back to its ancestral faith in God. And they found during his reign a law book in the temple. And he made it the blueprint for his reformation. And some folk think the law book was the book of Deuteronomy uh, in the Old Testament, which emphasizes the king's spiritual duties. And it also <coughs> emphasizes the need for religious purity before God in worship. So, uh, some scholars think Josiah and Jeremiah, the king, were about the same age. Um, and uh, Jeremiah was called um, in the year 627 BC. And, uh, sorry, Josiah reigned from 627 BC. Um, Jeremiah had his call in 622 BC round about the time of the finding of the book of the law. And the superpower at, the, at this point in their history was Egypt. And Egypt was advancing through Israel. And Josiah did a silly thing. He was a good king. But he did a silly thing. He tried to stop the Egyptian army and got absolutely slaughtered at the Battle of Megiddo in the course of which Josiah himself was killed. He was just a young man. And later on, when Jeremiah is assessing the, the, um, the reign of, uh, of Josiah, he says, They heal the heart of my people lightly. It was, a, it was what you would call a, a skin-deep reformation. It didn't, it didn't really reach down to the hearts of the people, although Josiah tried honestly. And he was killed in 609 BC at the Battle of Megiddo. And of course, Egypt then, as a superpower, took over Israel. And uh, Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, was appointed as a puppet king by Necho, the pharaoh of Egypt. He only reigned for three months. And Necho deposed him and replaced him with... Uh, Eliakim and what confuses also is that he had a throne named Jehoiakim so it's the same person Eliakim and Jehoiakim were the same people Jehoiakim reigned from 608 to 597 and he was replaced by Jehoiakim <laughs> so that's a bit confusing isn't it Josiah Jehoahaz 
Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. He was um, the, the sixth, the 18-year-old son uh, of Josiah, and he was taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, and he replaced Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin with Mataniah, and changed his name. His throne name was Zedekiah. And he reigned from 597-586. And he did the same silly thing as Josiah had tried. He rebelled against Babylon this time. Babylon was now in the up and up. And he, he, it was the ultimate lunacy. Uh, and not only did he, f- he fail badly in the battle, but Nebuchadnezzar, now in charge, Nebuchadnezzar, brought his sons before him and had the sons murdered in front of him and then gouged his eyes out. They were really nice to one another in the olden days. That's what they did. It was the ultimate lunacy to take on Babylon with the, 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 the troops that they had. And eventually, when he was carted off to Babylon and a whole lot of people with him, they took Jeremiah with them. He got dragged away to Babylon as well and and he finished up as far as we know in Babylon so there were these kings Josiah and and, uh, I've lost them Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah Uh, really he lived among them did Jeremiah and he suffered I mean, Zedekiah had is a collection of uh, Jeremiah's writings, and he had the, the writings brought to him, and he had a bonfire gone, and he threw, broke them up and threw them in the fire. How does that go for a vote of confidence in your prophet? But that's what he did. Jeremiah's call is very interesting. When you look at chapter 1, it tells you that God knew him. Before he was born, <laughs> before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You ever think about that? That God knows all about us even before we were born? There's a Psalm 139 that tells us in Psalm 139 that God knew us before we were born. When, when he, he knit us together in our mother's womb, you know, knitting in over through and all. It's pretty detailed stuff. My wife's always knitting. And so he, knit, he knitted us in our mother's womb. He, God says, I knew you before you were born. I chose you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child and uses the word na'ar. Um, a child, a wee child would be yeleth because yalaz means to suck. Baby sucks its mother's milk. And uh, a suckling is the survival of a wee child. But a na'ar is a youth who hasn't yet uh, arrived at full status as a, a Jewish man. I said, I'm not, I'm not qualified. I don't know how to speak. And yet, God speaks back to him. And he touched my... He reached out his hand and touched my mouth. Amazing stuff. 
The Lord says, don't say I'm only a child. You'll go to everyone I send you and you'll tell them what I tell you to say. And he touched his lips. This, uh, he says, now I've put my words in your mouth. Um, which is terrific. A personal call. Later on, in chapter 31, verses 31 following, it goes into a personal covenant that God makes is going to make one day with individuals. But here's the call to Jeremiah. And in uh, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, God emphasizes his individual covenant that he's going to draw with every believer under the new covenant, under uh, the saviorhood of Jesus. And his ministry is defined by God. His ministry is defined in verse 10. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, if you the, the, the most superficial analysis of that is four parts destructive and two parts constructive. To uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And I would say not many people in ministry nowadays have a, a ministry that's four parts destructive. They get hunted out of the churches. Um, two parts constructive. And yet that's what God called him to do in chapter 1 verse 10 and then his, his call is um, what can we say confirmed, fortified and carried forward by two visions so what do you see Jeremiah and he says uh, I see a branch of an almond tree um, and God says that's correct he says uh, I'm watchful over my word to fulfill it. And the word for an almond tree is the watchful tree. It's the same verbal root as to watch. As a play in words, what you call a paranomasia, is it? A pun. A pun on the Hebrew word for watchful and almond tree. And God is speaking to him. What do you see? I see an, a, a branch of an almond tree. He said, Well, Jeremiah. I'm watchful over my word to perform it. In other words, I'm working. Jeremiah, when you look at the history and all the bodies lying everywhere and all the people getting killed and their eyes put out and all that, I'm still working. I'm working. I'm working, Jeremiah. I'm active. I'm alive and active in the silent forces of nature. We're just commenting today on all the greenery around, you know, maybe three weeks ago, the trees still look pretty bare, but they've all come to life, and there's all these leaves uh, coming up on the trees, and all this stuff in the garden. God says to Jeremiah, I'm working! You, may, you maybe can't read it in the, the events of what's been going on, and all these battles, and bloodshed, and carry on. I'm working! In the silent forces of nature to bring renewal. That's God's work. And then he says to Jeremiah, What do you see, Jeremiah? The second vision, the first vision, the vision of a branch of an almond tree. The second vision 
is the vision of a boiling pot spilling out its contents from the north. And uh, that's the second vision. And sometimes we shrink at the idea that God is in charge of warfare. Oh, you think of Syria and what's happening there. And you think of the, the Bible principle of whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. And you think of the leaders of the nations at this time and all the bloodshed that's going on and all the kids dying and people in Africa starving and the whole thing wiped out, you would say. Where is God, they said. Well, you see, God is still in the throne and he's still in charge and he will work things after the counsel of his own will and he is present also not only in the silent forces of nature but he is king of the world and eventually he will solve it in his time what needs to be solved um, amazing uh, to, give, to give him these two visions well so much for Jeremiah's context the enemies the kings um, and Jeremiah's family, uh, Jeremiah's call now Jeremiah's message it was the weirdest message you ever did hear in your whole life and put it like this supposing President Trump came in charge of the American nation and he's, he's, got, he's, got, he's got everybody upset enough since <laughs> he started but supposing in his presidential address he said this first of all God is on the side of the Russians what would you think of that God's on the side of the Russians and then he might follow on from that and say God raised Putin up for the destruction of the USA and he's going to finish us off Thirdly, God cared nothing for the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the heritage of religious worship that America has. These are an offence to God nowadays, the way you're behaving, the way you're living. And then he would say to them, Christians should renounce loyalty to the American nation and succumb to and support Russia. What would you do with them? Right? Well, you could do a lot to him. Here's what happened to Jeremiah. He was brought under house arrest. He was flung into jail. He was slapped in the face in public, the highest insult you could pay to the servant of God called the prophet. They slapped him in public. They took his oracles. Uh, the collection of his writings and prophecies and burnt them in the fire they flung him into a pit of sewage and he was half drowned in it and yet he wouldn't retract a word he just kept on telling them you had better change you've got false beliefs some of them had the false belief that the temple was inviolate the temple in Jerusalem could never fall Jerusalem will never fall and the temple will not fall that's what they said and there's chapter 7 of Jeremiah he says are oh, you that go around saying ah the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord. God's going to send an enemy that will destroy the temple of the Lord and to in intensify 
uh, Jeremiah's suffering. Um, he had no friends, not even in his own family circle did he have friends. And God wouldn't allow him to get married. Now, a wife's a great help to a man in all the problems that a bachelor never has. It really got worse and worse. And then he said, okay, I'm, I'm shutting up. I'm not going to say anything. And he tried that out for a wee while. He was busting. <laughs> he said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't keep quiet. I've got to keep producing the word that God told me to, to produce. And I'll take anything you can throw at me. And how long did he do that for? Oh, three months and then move on. Six months and then move on. Oh, no. Forty odd years. It was like that. And he had to suffer it all alone. Well, he had a few pals, one or two pals. There was a big uh, Ethiopian guy rescued him from the big slimy pit. Dragged him out and saved his life. And he, he never gave up. So the old Scottish golf manual. So the old Scottish golf manual and the final instruction said, Finally, never give up. Your opponent might die. <laughs> and he, he kept at it for over 40 years. And there were signs of hope in his message as well. He, he told a story about figs, good figs and bad figs. And this was a message to the good figs. He said the good figs are those that accept the Babylonian captivity. And uh, they were taken away to Babylon. And uh, actually, uh, Professor F.F. Bruce thinks they were in a prisoner of war camp outside Babylon, digging the canals and irrigation canals for Babylon. That was what their job was. But <clears throat> that may be true. And Jeremiah said, those of you who accept the punishment of God and go away to Babylon and dig your ditches for the foreign pagan conquerors, he said, you're the good figs. <laughs> the bad figs will moan and groan and not do anything. Well, Jeremiah says, the complainers, they're the bad figs. The good figs settle down and make the best of it and serve God where they are and do their job in slavery until God delivers them and the second thing is there was a sign of hope in that he put a, he put a time limit on the exile it wasn't forever it was for 70 years he named the period he said, you'll be in exile, Israel will be in exile the Lord says Israel will be in exile for 70 years and then he's going to restore you to your land it wasn't forever. Now, when the Assyrians attacked, the Assyrians before the Babylonians, when they attacked, their first job was to destroy national identities. They practiced what we call racial cleansing. And he mixed, when he conquered nations, he mixed them all up so that they would intermarry and, get, and lose their, their national identity in captivity. And he wiped out a whole lot of national identities like that. It was terrible. But God preserved Israel through the Babylonian exile. Seventy years, be a good fig. <laughs> and then he did a very strange thing. He went to his home village, Anathoth, 
So here's that moaning faced prophet here again. It caused us nothing but trouble and tells us to give in to the, the Babylonians. What's he want? He bought a field. What? At this time, bought a field. <laughs> Is that not crazy? But buying a field was a sign of hope that later on they would be resettled in the land. That was a good, a good sign of hope. Good figs, a limit in the exile, a field at Anathoth. And then the most glorious passage of all is chapter 31. Oh, it's wonderful. But here's what it says. In chapter 31, and uh, 31 following. The time is coming, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah writing. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led, led to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds wonderful and I, write, I will write it in their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people well we're coming to Pentecost aren't we? when the church was initiated and it gets all very personal when the Holy Spirit becomes a reality in the lives of believers and he says I will be their God they will be my people no longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more what a prophecy that's one of the, the high spots of the Old Testament prophets Jeremiah 31 verse 31 following and there's a parallel a mirror image of it in Ezekiel chapter 36 and there's a wonderful book written by a Scottish a servant of God called Guthrie Thomas Guthrie um, the gospel in Ezekiel it's a, book, a big book like that it's about that thick and it's all about Ezekiel 36 an exposition of Ezekiel 36 the gospel in Ezekiel the gospel in Jeremiah and it is that God will personalise the gospel that God will write his, mind, his word in our minds and put it in our hearts and we'll not be floundering about in the darkness any longer like the prisoners of war digging the canals for the Babylonians but every one of us will know the Lord personally and Jesus as we saw beautifully set before us this morning he went to the cross that this could happen that we might have an individual connection with God that was real. You know? We live for God. And we thank God for his servants. The goodly fellowship of the prophets. People like Jeremiah. With all his terrible persecution, rejection, denial, ostracization, everything about his life 
was sad except he knew that God had called him and he kept at it <laughs> never give up let's pray together Lord we thank you for the gospel we thank you for the good news of our saviour and it's a precious treasure we have to share with others and we pray this week you'll help us to come to Christ and to know him as our saviour and friend and to know that he's with us even when other folk reject us and criticise us and say evil things about us we thank you O God that you are still faithful God is faithful and we thank you for your word, for your prophets and the inspiration they bring to us. And we pray for your help this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.